Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast, Season 1, Episode 49. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today we have, uh, once again, our, our great friend, um, Dick Foth, and uh, we're going to spend some time with Back Channel with Foth and uh, learn from him. And this is the segment where listeners send in questions, and then uh, we curate those questions, and then we as get to sit and learn um, from Dick. So Dick, so welcome again to the podcast. Thanks. My joy to be here. Dick, the first uh, question we have um, sent in, and this is a uh, very pertinent time, I think, um, as we lead up to the elections. Um, the question number one, after serving in D.C., what advice would you have um, for those who would like to pray for politicians and um, those in leadership in, in D.C.? I think three or four things. First of all, we need to understand that it's a command from scripture. Uh, Paul in speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, in 1 Timothy uh, 2, uh, says it this way. Uh, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he has this, para- this, this uh, parenthetical thought for kings and all those in authority. The question is, why would you do that? And he goes on to say that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Uh, The way I read that is that if people in leadership uh, make good decisions, we get the benefits of that downstream. Mm. They make bad decisions, we get the debilitating effects of that downstream. Yeah. And so, so I would start there. First of all, it's in, it's in the wheelhouse of what it means to follow Jesus. Secondly, in praying for politicians, understand that they are human. They're not superhuman. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, um, you know, you see this over and over again, whether it's the local level, county, state, national level, uh, flawed human beings. And, and the challenge to cut corners is huge. Hmm. Um, you know, Lord Acton said, uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Uh, there's another take on that. A fellow named Herbert wrote that, um, that power has a tendency to attract corruptible people. Wow. And that's, that's not true across the board, clearly. But I mean, I'm talking to people who are in countries around the world where right. they see the challenges of being compromised. You can have the greatest ideals, but you get in the, in the um, uh, Petri dish of a place like Washington, D.C. Yeah. You know, we used, to have, we used to have a saying, well, it's still a saying, that uh, Washington, D.C. is 77 square miles surrounded by reality. And, <laughs> you know, because, because in, in D.C., you wake up every morning thinking about D.C., even though you may be connected. To, so understand that they are like you. Yeah. They're human. Thirdly, understand that they are a mixed bag of motives. Hmm. Some people come with an ideological agenda. Some come with a pragmatic agenda. Um, uh, you know, and all of those things come into play. And once you get in, in place, whether it's an appointed position in one of the agencies or, or, or it's an elected position, the pressures from either your party or the agenda of your agency or whatever, come come on uh, really strong. Hmm. Uh, just as a point of reference, when I went to Washington, D.C. in 1993, there were 15,000 registered lobbyists wow. on Capitol Hill. They call them lobbyists because historically, these people who were not elected stood in the lobby, and when the, when the uh, people who made the laws came out, they would try to work them to whether it's the national pork producers or pickle day or <laughs> women's groups or men's groups or whatever it is. Now there are more than that. And uh, by some thousands and, uh, and some of the greatest lobbyists in Washington, DC are uh, other countries. Hmm. And so, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars are spent a year. Right? So, so, understand that, that the people are both a mixed bag of motives, but they have enormous pressures from a variety of positions uh, to do other things. And, and then finally, understand that they feel lonely oftentimes. 
not because necessarily leadership is a lonely thing, although it can be. Uh, leaders are not lonely because they have to make decisions. That's what, that's who they are by definition. Right. Leaders are lonely because the higher you go up the ladder, the more competitive it gets and the closer you start playing your cards and you end up at the top of the heap with a, with a thousand acquaintances and no friends. Wow. Leadership, is lonely. Leadership is lonely because you don't know who to trust. Wow. So in praying for them, understand that they are human, understand that they have a mixed bag of motives and are under enormous pressure from all quadrants. Yeah. And finally, that, that loneliness and isolation will lead them to poor decision making, poor choices. So wow. Wow, I good. think that And so uh, this, the second question, Dick's kind of along those, those lines, and maybe we can segue into that. It says, listener said, what are some of the biggest challenges um, politicians face and that some of us who've never been to D.C. and been around politicians that we might not know, that we might, assumptions we, I guess we might have that we just don't know? Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think probably the biggest challenge would be in, in, um, in 15 years in D.C., met with hundreds of people over time. And one of the things that we would say at the end, whomever we were speaking to, whether it was somebody in energy or justice or commerce or whatever is. So um, we have friends around the world who pray for folks like you in leadership. Now, Congressman, I don't know if you think that works or not. I think it works. But, but these folks would like to know what to pray for. Um, and almost 100% of the time, I would say 95% of the time, the person would say, pray for my family. Because when you're in public, in the public eye, it's your family that takes it in the chops. Wow. Preachers, ministers, missionaries know this. Yeah. This, this is exactly the same. When you are, when you're out there trying to help others, how do I help my family? And um, so, I, I, I would say that's, that's a huge one. Another one is how do I navigate the special interests that I talked about previously yeah. and my conscience? Hmm. How do I, how do I uh, with integrity, uh, uh, act on my conscience and at the same time try to respond to these other pressures? I think that's the key. I think, I think sort of uh, praying for them, um, to overcome the challenge of clear seeing. Yeah. How can they have a baptism of clear seeing? Wow. Yeah. I can't imagine the pressures and can as you said, I can't imagine the family part of it, but the pressures and all that is uh, something that, um, yeah, is, and I never thought about you saying the lobbyists for other countries. You know, I, I always pictured the, like you said, the pork and the milk and the, and the walnuts and whoever the lobbyists were, but I never thought about yeah. other countries being there uh, lobbying them for their, for their country. Sure. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. Well, Dick, we're going to go ahead and jump into our interview today with uh, Stephen Blandino, where we're going to talk, discuss leadership skills, uh, specifically focusing on conflict resolution. And so excited to learn from Stephen. And um, and uh, he's going to share with us on, on navigating conflict. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here again today with our friend Stephen Blandino and to talk about a subject that, um, that uh, is very important to, to overseas workers and global workers uh, around the world. So Stephen, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Aaron. Great to be back. Excited to spend some time with you today. Yeah, we are. I'm so excited. Uh, your last time you were on was very, very positively received, and um, and I re reached out to Stephen and asked him and said, "Hey, could we could we consider doing this on a more consistent basis, um, unpacking some of his writings?" And um, he has graciously uh, agreed to do that. And we want to thank uh, Influence for for giving us the permission to do that also. And um, so we're looking forward to learning um, from him once again today. So today we're going to jump into the, a subject that um, I think um, 
affects all uh, all of us, but specifically overseas workers, and that is conflict and conflict resolution. And um, looking forward to learning from Stephen. Stephen, just to go ahead and jump into the questions. Um, you know, I, I shared that conflict in my time, 20 years on the field, one of the most common reasons people leave the field is um, is, is conflict. I overstated. I've only been on the mission field since 2004, so 16 years. So I don't want to, somebody will catch me on that. 16 years. Um, people have uh, seen people come and go. One of the common reasons is conflict. And in your writings, you describe three different types of conflict. Um, can you can you share those and unpack those three different kinds of conflicts that you've identified? Sure. Um, they all come from James chapter four, verses one through six. James is talking about conflict and he kind of paints uh, different perspectives on this. And so the first type of conflict he talks about is external conflict. And that's basically conflict that most of us would think about when we, we consider conflict and that's between each other. And so he begins his instructions on conflict with, with a question. He said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? So between followers of Jesus, what is it causing those uh, fights and, and conflicts? And, and so I think that's the most common type of conflict we, we think about as external conflict. And I'm reminded whenever I consider external conflict that uh, regardless of the situation, regardless of what the conflict is about, the biggest issue in any conflict is the health of the individuals involved in the conflict. Hmm, um, good. Un, unhealthy people uh, perpetuate, they produce and perpetuate conflict. Healthy people, they, they, they figure out how to successfully navigate that conflict. I'm not suggesting it's easy. I'm not suggesting that we're perfect at it by any means. But at the end of the day, the health of the person affects how they deal with external conflict. So that's the first type of conflict. Um, the second is internal conflict. As you uh, continue reading James, he says that, uh, uh, you know, he asks another question. He says, don't they, in other words, these conflicts, don't they come from your desires at battle within you? Hmm. And, uh, you know, he, he describes in, in this passage, this battle going on inside of us between things that internally we want Mm-hmm. which then produce these, these external wars with, with, with other people. And uh, so, for example, he says, you know, you want something, but you don't get it. Hmm. Um, that's the internal want. He says you kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. That's the, that's the external, external war. So yeah. sometimes I'll say it like this. I'll say our unfulfilled internal wants produce our uncontrolled external wars. Wow. That's good. Because we haven't dealt with the want on the inside. Hmm. Um, it causes us to lash out at people on the outside to, you know, we're frustrated or unfulfilled with something that we're expecting other people maybe to fulfill, but uh, maybe it's just an unrealistic expectation. So, so there's external conflict, there's internal conflict. And then the last is upward conflict. And that's the conflict that we have with God. And when you read the remainder of that passage, verses uh, two through six, he gives examples of what that conflict looks like. He talks about praying with wrong motives. He talks about uh, spiritual infidelity where we're not Hmm. faithful to God. He talks about walking in a spirit of pride. All of those things uh, create conflict between us and God. Hmm. And so I think whenever it comes to dealing with conflict, the first thing we've got to ask ourselves is what kind of conflict Am, am I dealing with here? Is this, yeah. is this an external conflict with somebody else? Um, is it an internal conflict? Is it an upward conflict? And, and the, the easy thing to say, well, is, is that, well, this is an external conflict with somebody else, right? Because <laughs> we're yelling at each other or things aren't going well. But it may be that one of the other two conflicts is actually the root to the external conflict. Wow. And maybe that internal or upward conflict is really what's driving uh, how we're responding to other people. Is there a process, um, Stephen, that you go to kind of get to figure out if it's an internal, external or upward conflict? Is is there something that helps you discern or, or walk through that to kind of figure out if it's just an external conflict or there's more to it? I don't know. If, I don't really know if I've got a process. I, I just think it requires us to have um, good self-awareness. Okay. And then I think it, it requires us to really be sensitive to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. That's good. You know, if the Spirit is speaking, um, he, he's probably trying to address an issue in our heart that needs to be dealt with. Um, and we can ignore that. 
but obviously that doesn't do anything to help us resolve conflict or to produce spiritual health in our own lives. But yeah. uh, uh, being aware of what you what your tendencies are and, and what can cause you to kind of go off the rails, being aware of that can help you mitigate it and, and address it and, and, and deal with it. And then, of course, just being sensitive to the spirit. He'll, he'll nudge you when he needs to nudge you. And then, and then when you're in conflict, maybe there's Aaron, Aaron's having conflict with, with somebody. Um, is it right to say that maybe I might just have thought it was an external thing and there might, could have been something else. Should we be aware of that, that there might be more going on than just what's on the surface? Um, I mean, you can't control if the other person's aware of it, you can, you yeah. can try to bring it, uh, you can try to bring it up. But the, um, um, you know, if, if you can be aware of it, you may be able to bring voice, voice to that. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times I think there, there's just an expectation issue yeah. that's at hand. There's yeah. unmet expectations or, or I've got expectations of you that you were not aware of. You have expectations of me that I wasn't aware of. And those things just, um, you know, they, they, they just get in the way and yeah. uh they um uh and and they're not dealt with and sometimes we just need to admit and that well that's the hard part right when it comes <laughs> to conflict we don't want to admit we're wrong and sometimes actually you just admitting it and owning it is the yeah. best way to get to resolution of the conflict and yeah. uh yeah that's true that's true you know um as we talk about conflict um one of the other things i noticed in, in your writings that really stuck out to me that you've um you identified some characteristics um, that you found that help us successfully navigate um, when we find ourselves in a conflict. Um, yeah. Some of those, some characteristics that we can, we can apply. Could you share those with us? Yeah. I think it all starts with your posture, your posture as a leader or whether you're a leader or not, this is the posture. If you're going to deal with conflict, uh, the, the posture, in other words, the attitude, the approach that you come into the conflict with is going to set the stage for whether it can be resolved or not. And I think that posture, there's three angles to that posture. Number one, we need a posture of humility. Uh, pride never solves problems. It only compounds them. Uh, Ephesians 4, 2 talks about being completely humble and gentle. It talks about bearing with one another in love. So, um, a posture of humility. Second is a posture of listening. Hmm. Um, Proverbs eighteen thirteen says to answer before listening. That is folly and shame. Hmm. So, so a posture of listening. And, and this reminds me of Stephen Covey's writings. Whenever he, he talks about the habits of highly effective people, you know, one of the habits that that's become so well known is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Yeah. And usually we come into conflict and we're seeking to be understood and we yeah. don't really care if we understand them or not. We just want to make sure we get our point across. <laughs> and uh, so, so it, it, it requires a posture of listening. And then finally it requires a posture of kindness. Hmm. Um, I learned that, that, that being a jerk is not a prerequisite for resolving pro, uh, conflict. You, know, <laughs> you, you don't have to be a jerk about this. You, yeah. you can be kind. Yeah. You can exhibit what, what, you know, it looks like to, to be uh, compassionate. Paul talked about it again in Ephesians four, when you said to, to be kind and compassionate to one another, um, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave us. And so, you know, if we, if, if we're kind, then we're, we're going to maintain an attitude that I'm, I'm talking with somebody right now that bears the image of God. Hmm. I'm talking with somebody right now that is important to God, that is valued and loved by God, and I should value and love them as well. Hmm. So those three postures, a posture of humility, a posture of listening, a posture of kindness, they go a long, long way yeah. in resolving conflict. And when you think about the opposite of those, Aaron, like <laughs> if your posture is pride, you're only going to escalate the conflict and you're probably yeah. going to humiliate the other person. Hmm. If your posture is talking, you're only going to bulldoze the other person. Yeah. Uh, if your posture is abrasiveness, you're, you're only going to hurt the other person. So yeah. um, all of those pride and, and excessive talking and abrasiveness that that only magnifies and multiplies the problem versus humility, listening and kindness really sets the table to actually be able to have a, a conversation and, and deal with it. That's good. My father uh, says frequently, it's never it's you're never right when you're rude. 
And um, he said, mm, you know, if you go into a good. conversation, you, it's never okay to be rude. And he said, you know, you can stand on your principles, but you have to do it in a Christ-like way and to share it. And what you're saying to, to, to not to lay down pride, to be, listen, and to be humble in the process. Um, but he, it just, it's just something that always uh, rings in my mind when I'm irritated. His, his saying, uh, Aaron, you're never right if you're rude. You might be right, <laughs> but if you're rude, you're wrong. So um, you it's, uh, that's good. It's good advice. Something that's really helped me. So can you share some uh, guidance on what works and doesn't work when you're doing conflict? You know, I think that's the other thing you've talked about, some characteristics um, that navigate it. What are some things that, that when you're doing conflict, what doesn't work and what does work? You know, in that, in the Make It Count articles, I talk about um, an example from um, Acts chapter 15. And in Acts 15, there's a, um, an example here where there, there's a conflict that's taking place. And if you read the whole chapter, it really gives us some great uh, insight on, on what it looks like to address conflict. In that particular context, Paul and Barnabas and, and, a, and a group of men from Judea, you know, there's this conflict over whether or not Gentiles should be circumcised. And so read that whole chapter, you kind of see how they navigated that. But mm. I, well, let me let me back up a little bit from there and share something. This is actually something that'll be out in, in an article and in, on uh, Influence Magazine's website here sometime in the next month. I, I wrote an article about um, ways to approach conflict that I think addresses this uh, well mm. also. And uh, okay. let, let me just touch on those. Um, uh, it's kind of four approaches to doing conflict or four approaches to, to handling conflict. One is speed over convenience. Hmm. Um, in other words, address conflict quickly because hmm. uh, there's never a convenient time to deal with it. Never. Yeah. Um, unless you love conflict, which <laughs> that's a whole other issue, but unless, you know, <laughs> there's just not a good time to deal with it. And, yeah. and, and I, I would just say you've got to address it quickly. And here's the problem we have with conflict. We tend to deal with conflict in one of two situations. We deal with conflict when it's easy to resolve hmm. or when it's turned into a full-blown crisis. Okay. And when it's easy to resolve, well, we just deal with it and it's over. Yeah. When it's turned into a full-blown crisis, we, can, we can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. Um, but most conflict falls somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. Yeah. It's a... Um, it's not easy to resolve, but it hasn't turned into a crisis yet. And so we just kind of tend to, to ignore it. Yeah. And, and that does not help you. You can't wait for a convenient time for conflict for, to deal with conflict. You have to, you have to address it quickly. Here's another way I've, I've, I've heard it said, if somebody lit a match and they dropped it on the carpet in your living room or bedroom or wherever, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't let it just sit there and burn. You, you would go stamp it out or pick it up or throw water on it or something. You'd put it out immediately because if you didn't, you know, the house is going to burn down. Exactly. The problem is with, with conflict, oftentimes when the, when the match of conflict is lit, we don't put it out. We just let hmm. it keep smoldering and burning. And before we know it, it's burned down the relationship. Yeah. It's burned down the organization. It's burned down, you know, the home. And so I, I just, again, speed over convenience, deal with it. It's not going to be comfortable, but I promise it will be more uncomfortable the longer you let it burn. That's a good word. Um, and, and unresolved conflict never gets smaller. It only hmm. grows bigger. Uh, our problem is, again, we, we address it when it's at one of the extremes. So, so one is if you're doing conflict, uh, Choose speed over convenience. It's good. Uh, second, uh, second is choose relationship over rights. Wow. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges we face in doing conflict is that we value being right mm -hmm. more than we value the relationship. That's a good word. And most of the time, that's nothing more than spiritual pride. Hmm. Um, we like to spiritualize it that, no, I'm right. And bless God, I'm going to do the right thing. And, and I'm standing up on, you know, and no, what we're really doing is we're, we're hurting somebody else. Wow. And, uh, so I, I would just say, be careful not to focus on making your point at the expense of ministering to people. Wow. That's uh, the, the relationship is, is more important in the long run. That doesn't mean you got to compromise your values. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm just saying, when you look at Jesus, it was pretty clear. He put people first. Yeah. 
And um, so choose a relationship over, over your rights. The third, the third one is clarity over confusion. Hmm. Um, Anytime you don't deal with conflict, confusion always abounds because you're, you're living with your interpretation of the facts. The other person Mm. is living with their interpretation of the facts. The problem it's not, is that it's not the complete picture for either one of you. There is confusion, but you don't realize there's confusion. And it's not until you sit down together and talk that you're going to gain the clarity you need. And that's what happened in Acts 15. Whenever they were dealing with this conflict, they had to sit down and it started by gaining clarity about the issue. Hmm. And, um, and so, you know, gaining clarity, that means you're, you're probably going to, you need to hear both sides of the story. Yeah. You need to acknowledge one another's feelings in terms of what's going on. You, you need to stick to the facts, you know, how conflict can also oftentimes take rabbit trails, you yeah. know, turns into a whole nother, like stick <laughs> to the facts of this issue and, and then determine your next steps. Like, what do you got to yeah. do to resolve this? What do you do to get to a place of, of understanding uh, there? And, and, and let me just throw this out because I mentioned acknowledging feelings. Um, be careful when you're dealing with conflict. This happens so often. I know I've been guilty of it before and, and this is so easy to do. Um, you, you hear what somebody, uh, says or, or, or how somebody is, uh, feeling and you'll, you'll, it's really easy to say something like, um, well, I'm, uh, I- I'm sorry you took it that way, or I'm sorry mm-hmm. you, uh, uh, we, we almost make them feel bad for feeling the way that they feel. Wow. That's good. And that doesn't, that, 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 that only minimizes them. It's almost like saying you shouldn't feel that way. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, you, you need to apologize for feeling that way because you shouldn't feel that way. Wow. How on earth does that resolve conflict? Right? <laughs> acknowledge, <laughs> acknowledge your feelings and um, acknowledge what you've done to, to, to contribute to that yeah. feeling. Um, so anyway, clarity over confusion. And then the last one is communication over assumption. Hmm. And I find this interesting in, in the Acts 15 model, whenever they dealt with this, this conflict over whether or not Gentiles should be circumcised, the last step that they took is that they communicated the outcome of this conflict resolution, uh, to, uh, to the Gentiles that they, they, they communicated what the, what the result uh, was. And I think that's an important uh, thing for us to, to realize that if there's conflict, chances are it's affecting somebody else and they know about it. But sometimes when we resolve conflict, we don't ever tell the people that have been affected by it how the conflict has been resolved. And so they're kind of left wondering, is everything that's okay good. now? Is everything so, so don't assume people know that the conflict has been resolved and, and how it's been resolved or what the, the outcome is, put together a communication strategy. Again, in Acts 15, um, they, uh, they, they wrote a letter that communicated their solution. And, and, and Acts 15.31 says that the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Hmm. So um, when you're resolving that conflict and you come to a place of, of resolution, if, if the conflict has affected the entire organization or the entire church or the entire team, um, you know, communicate, Hey, we've resolved this and here's, here's what our plan is. So that, that, that's just, you know, four things again, speed over convenience, relationship over rights, clarity over confusion, communication over assumption. No, I love that because it's um, it's something memorable and something that we can uh, put into practice. And that's one thing I love about your writings. It's it's there that that's the way I I learn the best, and there are things that I can and apply. And um, that is that is very very valuable. You know, at, at times conflict. Um, I, at least I've been in and um, conflict I've been in, and maybe it's me, but sometimes it just doesn't seem to be resolvable. Um, what should we do if we we're in the midst of a conflict and there, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere and it's, it doesn't seem resolvable. Do you have any wisdom or insight for, for those types of situations? Those are difficult times, aren't they, Aaron? Those are they not are. the easy ones, right? Cause yeah. if you have the courage to resolve, uh, to, to try to resolve a conflict and then it just does not go well, um, yeah. that that's tough because yeah. then you're kind of left feeling with where do I go? Where do I go from, from here? So, you know, a couple of things. One is 
decipher between resolving versus managing attention. Hmm. Uh, Andy Stanley talks a lot about this, uh, that, that you have to assess whether a conflict is a tension to be resolved or a tension to be managed. Interesting. There's some tensions that you're not going to ever resolve. Okay. So, so give you a, you know, practical uh, example. If you have kids, um, you're going to experience tension regarding how much freedom to give them. Right. That that's not a tension you're ever going to fully resolve. Yeah. Um, that's always going to be that they're always going to think they should have more freedom. You're always going to think that they're not yet at a place (laughs) where they can handle that freedom. It's a tension. Yeah. But, um, you may not be able to resolve that tension, but you can manage it. Uh, and, and it's just learning how to manage that tension in a way that, you know, as they prove themselves, you do give them more freedom, even though you're not giving them, you know, just a, a, a blank slate where they can do whatever they want. Um, I'll give you another example in, in, uh, in church world, there's obviously been uh, many churches that have struggled with the tension when it comes to, to worship music. Hmm. You know, some people think it's um, uh, you know, that, that, that tension can be style. We know that's been a tension, but it can also be the amount of, worship like some people they're going to tell you yeah we just need to worship more we don't sing enough we don't worship enough and then others are sitting there like are they are they still going like when's this going to stop so that we can get on with the rest of the service right you're not ever going to resolve that tension yeah because people have different preferences and opinions and all of that so again it's a tension you'll always have stop trying to resolve it just realize you just have to manage that tension listen to the perspectives from both sides, but then you got to make, you got to make a call. And here's a reality. If you're getting people on one side saying there's, there's not enough. And on the other side, people saying there's too much, you're probably about where you need to be. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so uh, uh, it's just uh, when you, you, when you can't resolve conflict, I would say, start there. Is this a conflict that was meant to be resolved or is this more of a conflict that it's just a tension that, that, that we have to learn how to manage. It's um, a good word. Second thing I'd say is, again, and I know we touched on this already, but protect the relationship. Sometimes a conflict will will arise that jeopardizes a relationship and and you might disagree like with a family member's behavior, or you might be at odds with how a coworker is handling a project. Um, uh, And even if the conflict begins to escalate, always make the relationship your priority. That's good. Maintain open communication. Don't burn bridges people are more important than your projects Hmm. and your opinions. And so just do everything you can to, to protect, uh, protect the relationship. Um, it's a good word. Yeah. And then, and then also I would say set, set clear boundaries. You know, there's a passage in Proverbs 27 that says seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and they will hate you. (laughs) And uh, so, right. We probably all had someone that maybe overstayed their stay, you know? Uh, But, but uh, here's, what's interesting. This verse doesn't say never set foot in your neighbor's house. Hmm. Hmm. So uh, it's talking about boundaries, like know where to set the boundary. And I think the same principle applies in, in conflict. When a conflict cannot be resolved, it doesn't mean you should never talk to the person again, but you may have to redefine the boundaries. Wow, that's good. And uh, now if the person is completely disrespectful and toxic, yeah, yeah, you may have to pull away from that relationship. But, but you know, it just may be you, you need to set some new boundaries. Yeah. Um, and, and then the last thing is pray, you know, um, God can do what we cannot. He can change hearts. He can, uh, he can um, deal with, with issues that, that we cannot. And, and so pray and ask God. And I've seen that happen. I've seen people pray literally for years about a relationship that was broken and, and seen God restore that relationship wow. after years and years. And, and God just did a miracle. God turned yeah. things around. And now, you know, people are, are, that those people are close again and laugh again and, yeah. and spend time and enjoy one another's presence again. So don't give up on that. Pray, ask God to, to restore that. That's a good word. That's a good word. 
You also share um, about four T's of dealing with conflict at home. You know, I think um, as you've shared conflict, ex- I don't know if it's right external, but when, when it's somebody you don't know, say I go to the store and I have a conflict with somebody I don't know, they don't really know me. That's one, that's one level. But if it's conflict with family or colleagues you closely work with and, and that there can be some tension. And I think missionary life, um, there's a, the lines uh, begin to almost the blend where, you know, my kids call um, our colleagues, they call them aunts and uncles um, because it seems mm. like family. And it's almost, we, we say Africa house because it's, it's a house. And so I really thought when you talked about um, the four T's of dealing with conflict at home, um, I thought this would be super valuable. Could you just share those, those four T's for us? So the first one is trust. Hmm. Establishing trust uh, is so, so critical. If trust is broken, that boy, that just casts a shadow over everything. So establishing trust. And I came across something from uh, Jimmy Evans. Uh, Jimmy uh, does a lot of teaching on marriage and, and uh, family health and has written some books. And, and um, he, he made an interesting observation. He said that, uh, that, that agape love, unconditional love, is the only non-emotion-based love. Hmm. And therefore, agape love has to be the thermostat of your home. That's- so, so if the thermostat of your home is based on emotion or on a, a type of love that is a, a more emotional love, yeah. then the temperature of love in your home, some days it'll be up, some yeah. days it'll be down. It'll be like a roller coaster. And so if the thermostat of your home is set uh, by agape love, a non-emotion based love that I will love no matter what, that I am, that, that, that you can know you'll never escape my love, that becomes a firm footing for trust. Hmm. That's a good word. If, if, if your kids always are trying to figure out what version of mom and dad are going to show up today. Yeah then they, they don't really trust you. Yeah. They're just trying to make sure they, they sidestep the, <laughs> the, you know, the, the mine so yeah. they, they don't get blown up. So yeah. I think it starts with trust. The second T is truth. Yeah. Ephesians 4.15 says, you know, to, to speak the truth in love. Hmm. Uh, again, Jimmy Evans, I, I love what he says. He says, truth without grace is mean. Hmm. Grace without truth is meaningless. Well, that's a good word. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. So, so if you if you can't speak truth in love, you're you're eventually going to resent the people that you love. Wow. There, 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 there's got to be uh, there's got to be truth spoken in in the home and. Sometimes people tend to swing to one or two extremes on this. Some people, they're so concerned about appeasing the person that they won't ever say this say the truth. And so yeah. they just continue dealing with the issue. And then other people bulldoze people when they, they speak the truth because there is not an ounce of love, love in their words. So, yeah. so truth, and that really you know, dovetails into the third T, which is tone. Hmm. Um, again, Paul said, speak the truth in love. So, so um, you know, You've got the truth, but the love is the tone in which that truth should be spoken. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes I'll say like this, that, that, that you can have the tone of connection or you can have the tone of correction. Wow, that's good. And, and the tone of connection will always outpace the tone of correction in terms of getting to the, to the resolution of conflict. Oh, so, so is what you're saying being said with a tone of grace and a tone, a tone of love, you know, Proverbs 15, one, again, a passage we've all heard, but it's a whole lot harder to live than it is to, <laughs> to, to say a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a yeah. harsh word stirs up anger. Yeah. So that, that tone of connection is gentle, is gentle while, while the, the tone of correction is obviously harsh. So it's a good word. So you, you got to have, you know, trust, you got to have truth. You got to have the right tone. And then the, the last T is timing. Hmm. Um, again, our, our tendency is to deal with conflict when it's at one of two extremes, when it's easy to resolve or it's turned into a full blown crisis. Yeah. It's learning not to ignore uh, the, the conflict because it will only compound over time. So, so making sure that your timing is right. And you know how it is, you know, Aaron, if you're dealing with 
um, a, a family member, th- there's a good time and a bad time to deal with conflict. When, when they're having a meltdown about a whole nother issue and they just need you to comfort them, that's <laughs> not a good time to bring up, you know, uh, a whole different related uh, conflict issue. Yeah. Like there, there, there's a, there's a good time. There's a, there's a bad time and, and there's not a, uh, a, there's not a black and white way to, to deal with that. You just got to feel the moment and, and yeah. sense, okay, and now's the time for me to deal with this while at the same time choosing speed over convenience. Yeah, it's true. So it, it's a, it's a delicate, you know, march there. So anyway, hope that helps. No, it's awesome. And um, I think that the struggle I have is separating the emotions in those times, you know, you want to, it's kind of like I get on a roll and I just, well, just get it all out there. You know, you take all your rocks out and just throw all your rocks and get them over with. And, um, and then also, you know, walking for me is, is trying to, I've started to tell, at least not telling me, I share with people when I have a conflict that this is not personal. I'm frustrated with the situation it's not you, it's not, if it's not a personal, maybe it's something that happened and you're dealing with customer service people or something like that. I say, I'm not mad at you personally, but I am very frustrated with this situation. Um, it seems to help people to know that I'm not, you know, I'm not t- attacking sure. you personally, but I am very frustrated with what's going on. And, um, I don't know. It's helped me a little bit. Maybe it's just a mind game for me. Yeah, but, no, I think, I think you're right on there. I think, and, and we all need those people that we can, that we can express that to a, a safe place yeah. um, where we can have those conversations and because it can help us process our, our thoughts and, and uh, whether that happens with a close friend or a coach or somebody that, that just, you know, well, that's, that's oh, important. Otherwise it stays all inside and oh man, it only builds it, pressure. It only builds pressure. That's for sure. That is for sure. Um, two more questions I want to ask you and get, get your wisdom on. Um, we talked about it with home, um, you know, uh, how we can do that. How does that look like when resolving on a team? If we work on a team, how do we resolve and walk and successfully navigate conflict when we're on a team? You mean you have team conflict? <laughs> well, my teammates are faithful <laughs> listeners to the podcast. So they, but um, I'm just saying this hypothetical no, I, team. I, I totally get where you're at, man. I'm teasing you. I, I it, boy, this is, uh, I think one of the things I've learned in pastoring is, is how incredibly important, um, you know, the, the, the team dynamics are and at the same time realizing that you have to constantly give attention and focus to make sure those team dynamics stay, stay healthy. And, mm-hmm. uh, because here's the thing, the best team members, it doesn't matter, um, uh, it's not a matter about of finding uh, of just finding the best team member. Yeah, we all want to find the best team member, but every team member is still a human being. It's true, and every and every person still has their faults and their challenges. When you're hiring people, um, you know you have to remind yourself there is not a perfect hire. Hmm. Um, so if you're trying, and, and we tend to knee-jerk reaction whenever we're hiring people, is like if we had one team member that's that was strong in one area and weak in another, we tend to have a knee-jerk reaction where we say, well, I'm going to make sure I find someone that's strong in the area they're weak in, and we ignore, we, we take for advantage of the fact that they were strong in another area, but we assume the new person will also be strong there. Yeah, that's true. And and the perfect candidate doesn't exist, So so you have to as the leader of the team continually manage those team dynamics and recognize that that conflict is going to happen Hmm. and that's okay. Um, so I, I think, I, I think the key with, with navigating team conflict is not to try to have a conflict free team, but to know how to cultivate healthy team conflict. Hmm. So to, to me, the person that's explained this better than anybody is Patrick Lencioni. So hmm. Lencioni's written, uh, you know, some great um, uh, leadership books that are so, uh, so, so good uh, on team. A couple of them that he's written His most recent one on, on team is the ideal team player. I recommend, yeah. in fact, we make that mandatory reading for all new staff members uh, hmm. that come on our team is, is the first book you're going to read is the ideal team player because it hmm. just helps you understand what qualities are, are yeah. going to be most effective for an ideal team team member. Um, but his earliest book, the five dysfunctions of a team, uh, that, that early book, he, he walks through a, um, 
five, five types of dysfunction that exist on a team. And so he says, you know, dysfunction starts first when there's an absence of trust. Hmm. When there's an absence of trust, then it leads to a fear of conflict. Hmm. In other words, because I don't trust you, I'm not going to engage in dialogue about an issue that could create conflict. That's good. And so as a result, whenever decisions are made, it leads to a lack of commitment. Hmm. And, and because there's a lack of commitment to that decision or that solution, then it leads to an avoidance of accountability. Okay. In other words, I don't want you to hold me accountable for a decision that I never agreed with in the first place, right? And then it peaks at within inattention to results Yeah, that we just excuse why there's not results. And so, so if we want to cultivate healthy team conflict, there has to be enough trust established where we can engage in conflict with one another and realize that, that just because I don't agree with your idea doesn't mean I'm attacking your identity. Hmm, that's good. And that's where I think we often struggle is we marry our identity and our ideas so closely together that when somebody rejects our idea, we think they're rejecting me. Wow. That's a good word. And, and so, you know, again, cultivating healthy team conflict is just making sure we've established solid trust and, and, and then created an environment where we're not afraid to, engage in conflict with one another over ideas and, and how to do things. And, and then out of that working to come to the best solution and then together we pursue it and we can hold one another accountable to it and deliver the results that we're wanting to deliver. But if there's no trust, you'll never engage in, in healthy conflict. Wow. So, that's a good so it starts there. So that, that's, that's to me the, the, the beginning point. And then, you, you know, you got to have ground rules. Yeah. Anytime you're, you're uh, you're dealing with a, a group or a team, you know, there's got to be ground rules on what's appropriate, what's not, you know, sometimes you'll hear the term candor and care. There's got to be hmm. a balance of those. So that both of those, we've got to be candid with one another, yeah. but also not cross the line of not showing respect and dignity and care for one another. We, we, we've got to, we've got to do both. Hmm. Um, be, be candid, share the truth. Um, but, but also do so in a, in a caring way that values people. That's a good word. Um, that, that's super important. Last, last question. Um, and I know I've already taken more of the time than I asked, but conflict in society. Um, we live in an, an age where every, well, not everybody, frequently people share their opinions on Facebook and engage in conflict in society. What wisdom do you have um, for someone that's following Christ, a disciple of Jesus, how they would engage in conflict um, in the community? Boy, this is more potent right now than it's ever been, it feels like anyway. Hmm. Uh, just what's happening, I know, in the United States with, with the political tensions, with, the, um, uh, with racial tensions, with everything that's happening with the coronavirus, uh, it just feels like it is so volatile right now. And it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, it, it feels like if you take take sides on any issue you're you're immediately yeah uh, it's like you're just banned and, and vilified and i mean it, it can get ugly really really quickly and unfortunately we've seen this happen with a lot of ministry leaders where they have become very vocal on on uh, taking sides on an issue that has alienated a lot of people mm. and so this is not an easy thing. I, I think the thing that I, I, I think about three things, Aaron, when it comes to, to these issues, number one is biblical clarity. Hmm. Um, it starts with making sure our worldview is rooted in, in the teachings of scripture. Um, everybody's got an opinion, um, but opinions will come and go, right? Yeah. We know that. And so we've got to hold on to something that is truth that endures time. Yeah. And, uh, and that's God's word. And so yeah. making sure, you know, we've got biblical clarity uh, in our own hearts of, about what is right, what is wrong, and uh, regularly allowing God's word to judge our own thoughts and attitudes. Wow. And, and aligning our lives with his truth. That, hmm. that, that's just a, sometimes we can, we, can, we, can, we can become Pharisees very quickly hmm. because we've stopped allowing God's word to judge our hearts because we've taken a posture of using his word to judge everybody else. Wow. 
So it starts with just getting our own biblical clarity and realizing that did not end when you graduated college. (laughs) It did not end when you graduated Bible college, right? I mean, it's it's just saying, Holy Spirit, speak to me, use your word to convict me, to challenge me, continually grow, grow my uh, understanding of, of uh, what is right and good and pleasing to you. Yeah. Um, continually grow my understanding of, of uh, truth on these very difficult issues. It's hmm, good word. The, the the second thing I would say is cultural sensitivity. You need biblical clarity, but you also need cultural sensitivity. And um, you know, obviously, being missionaries, you go into a completely new land, and you know, if you're not sensitive to the culture, you're not going to gain any influence <laughs> with unbelievers or anybody. Uh, in that culture. So, so you guys understand that better than anybody. And, um, uh, but sometimes I think what happens is whenever it comes to issues that are, um, uh, maybe they're political, maybe they are moral issues. Um, sometimes we lose all sensitivity Mm -hmm. because we feel like to be sensitive means I'm compromising my, beliefs on these issues. And that's not, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm I'm saying that, that um, if we're not careful, careful too often, our cultural backgrounds can cloud our response to cultural issues. And we, we forget what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. Yeah. To feel their pain, to feel their hardship and their trials and, and uh, what's normal uh, for them. And as a result, we can really easily make blanket statements that leave no room for discussion. Hmm. Um, much less compassion. Yeah, it's true. And so, you know, I, I, I would say just keep in mind that every person you disagree with is still a person made in the image of God. Oh, that's cool. And so, you know, we can we can disagree without being disagreeable. Yeah. And um, and and Jesus, you know, he talked about um, uh, he he talked about the the golden rule. Yeah. You know, doing to others as you'd have them to do unto you. And, yeah. and, and sometimes, sometimes we get mad at sinners for acting sinful. <laughs> well, I mean, A, we're all sinners. So let's start right. there. But, but B, even after you become a follower of Jesus, um, of course the world is going to act yeah. worldly. Yeah. Of course they are. Yeah. Um, so, so we've got to be sensitive to the fact that here's where they're at. Here's where, where they're understanding. And if I have any hope for change, hmm. then I, I have to, again, not come at them with a correcting attitude, but rather a connecting attitude. That's a good word. Let, let me connect with them. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit's the one that's going to correct them anyway. Yeah. Um, most people, I heard, I heard a, a friend say this one time. He said, most, uh, yeah, unsought feedback is rarely heated. <laughs> <laughs> right and we want to give all the feedback we can give on why you're wrong and why you need to change things and all that unsought feedback is really heated so if we'll start with a connecting attitude instead of a correcting attitude we're probably going to get a whole lot further so yeah anyway. good word. so that's biblical cool. clarity cultural sensitivity last thing i'd say is this is, is personal wisdom hmm. um we, we just uh, like never before, I think that leaders, we have got to be wise in how we approach these issues. I'll take politics, for example. Um, I, I know for, for, me to, for me to stand up and support one political party over another, uh, I'm immediately going to alienate 50% of my congregation. Mm. Um, so, so I don't do that. Um, besides both parties are severely broken, right? right. I mean, they, they've both got, they, they, they've both got huge issues. So I, I mean, I really encourage pastors and ministry leaders, be very careful about hitching your faith to a political party hmm. because in the end, you're only going to be disappointed. Yeah. And, um, my, my, my wife read uh, something from an author of, uh, a couple years back, um, that was so good. And, and it, and it was that. The gospel is not under a political party. It is over. Wow. 
It's not under, it's over. And whenever we hitch our faith to a political party, we are putting the gospel under a political party. And it is not going to be, it is not going to, that's not where it is. That's not where it belongs. That's not, that's not, um, it will never be hitched to any political party. Yeah. Um, It is over. It is above. It is greater than. It is more powerful. And so, you know, um, we're really careful about not sharing uh, political posts on social media. uh, careful about, uh, uh, you know, what people are feeling. Um, I know we're coming up on an election and I know after that election, there will be, regardless of the turnout, regardless of the turnout, there are going to be people that are, uh, deeply disappointed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, deeply, uh, deeply frustrated. I was talking with a gentleman just a, a, a few weeks ago, who works with students on a, um, on a college campus. And he told me, he said, Stephen, after the last election, he said, we had students who were suicidal. Mm. He said, we had students. He said, I remember talking to one student who was um, found out that her dad voted for the opposite party that she had voted for and could not understand why her dad loved them more than he loved her. Wow. That's the, that's what we're dealing with. Wow. That's the emotion that we're dealing with. So as leaders, we've got to be wise. We can't just tout why we're right and everyone else is wrong. And, and, and that's just, I'm taking my stand. You got to remember there's real human beings behind these issues that are hurting, that believe the way they believe for some reason. And as leaders, we just have to, to navigate those situations carefully and wisely without compromising biblical clarity. Right. Um, but at the same time, recognizing, uh, this is not, there's usually not a one size fits all solution to how we, we navigate this conflict. Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Hmm. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Yeah. That to me is a passage all about wisdom. Yeah. Be For wise sure. in how you navigate these issues. So I know I'm not giving like specific answers, no, 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 it's good. This, but it's, it's such guiding, a complicated issue. And, and it's guiding, those are some principles. The guiding principles. And um, Stephen, that's exactly what we need. It's a word. Um, and this will be, this will be put out um, a week or two before the elections. And, um, and so we're, It'll be valuable um, for all of us. Will you pray for us that um, God will give us that wisdom and um, that we will take what you've shared today and put into action in our lives? Yeah. Before I do, Aaron, can I just say to to um, any missionaries listening right now, you you touched on it earlier, Aaron, that conflict is is you know such a big reason for coming home from the field. And can I just encourage anyone who's listening right now, whatever conflict you might be dealing with right now. Um, I just want you to know there is hope Hmm. and it may feel hopeless right now. Hmm. And you may feel like there's not an answer, but I want you to know, I believe God can give you the wisdom and the clarity to, to find that solution, to, to deal with that, to handle that. And whatever God has called you to, I want you to know it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be lost because a conflict could not be addressed or resolved. Wow, that's a good one. I think there's hope. And I just want to encourage you in that. Again, take that posture of humility and listening and kindness and step into it. And sometimes, you know, think about it like this. Um, an entirely different tomorrow often hinges on one difficult conversation. Hmm. That's a good word. And it may be, you need to have a very difficult conversation, yeah. but a far better and brighter tomorrow hinges on it. If you'll have yeah. the courage to do it. So can I just encourage you to have courage yeah. Amen. to step Amen. into the conflict, to deal with it, to realize God is with you. He'll give you wisdom in the process. It may be you're wrong yeah. and you need to humble, be humble enough to admit that it may be they're wrong in most conflicts. There's a little bit of wrong on both sides. Yeah. And, um, and, and just have the courage to do that. And I think God will honor your efforts if you'll, if you'll do that. So just be encouraged by that today. There's hope Amen. and uh, it can be better. So. Amen. Amen. Will you pray for us?
Absolutely. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation. And Lord, I pray uh, we all go through conflict. We all wrestle with issues and struggles, whether it's at home, whether it's uh, with coworkers, whether it's with um, uh, society, whatever it may be, whatever the environment, uh, we all deal with conflict. But Lord, I believe your word gives us wisdom on how to step into that, how to navigate it, how to deal with it. God, help us, Lord, to have the courage to do that. Lord, if there is internal conflict, if there's upward conflict that we're having, uh, help us to be sensitive to the nudge of your spirit, to, uh, to open our hearts and to allow you to mold us and shape us so that those that conflict can be resolved and there can be peace once again. Lord, I thank you that you're good and that you help us in these times and you're faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.